Well, you can talk about films with a philosopher's zeal, or measure them all by box office appeal. But for once in your life, be real. Welcome, one and all, to Be Real, guys. It is your movie genre hopping, reviewing and reappraising podcast. My name is Chance Solem Pfeiffer, and gosh, it's it's been twenty years, or twenty five, since I've seen these guys, and they both look great. On the other line, a couple of Ballards. <laughs> oh yeah, you've got uh, both. You, you've got the brothers Ballard here, both Noah and Nate. Yes. Nate, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. First time, uh, you know. First time, long time? First yeah, time, yeah. Long, time. <laughs> long time listener, first time uh, guest on the pod. Well, goodness knows that we will probably get around to having all our listeners be on at some point. It's not a, not a terribly selective list. <laughs> <laughs> but you're, you're at the front of it, Nate. You sh- I'm glad to have you. Glad um, to be here. What, uh, what background do we need? Should we just introduce the genre? Because you guys um, watch these movies together. That's the impetus for uh, the two of you doing this. Back to back to back. Oh, we went hard. We went back to back to back, loaded it in with some like some interesting food choices. So we like went hard oh at Taco Bell <laughs> and like did a little to-go as we then segued into Gross Point Blank, which was like an interesting way to get into this genre, which we'll talk about uh, in a minute. But also, like, sort of a misleading uh, way to get into this genre and level of how entertained we'd be, I think. <laughs> sure is. Yeah, and then after that, you had five more hours. Of... And then Mom brought down a tuna noodle casserole around uh, hour one of The Judge. Mm-hmm. And that saw us through to the end. Oh, and I bought a big cookie, like one of these big cookie cakes. So that nice. was like... You know, like, oof, still 35 minutes to go in the judge. Like, better <laughs> cut myself a piece of cookie cake. Um, so I think you've talked about two of the movies here. Uh, and the genre that brings us together this week is people who abruptly left small towns at the end of their youth, uh, having to also abruptly return to them. And in doing so, hopefully find some self-acceptance in uh, Indiana, Michigan, Alabama, all over uh you know heartland heartfelt america absolutely um so you mentioned gross point blank you mentioned the judge and then sweet home alabama was our third yeah sweet home alabama uh i feel like (laughs) probably the most ubiquitous of the three films made a lot of money yeah but but i think you you wrapped it up uh you sort of got the genre down to an interesting place I was just sort of repeating the John Mellencamp refrain, I was born in a small town, like, all day in my head. Sure. So, Gonna die there's in a small that. Town. And I hope that you can put that as the, the, the music that ends this episode. I was thinking about Simon and Garfunkel's My Little Town, but I'll fight that out in my own mind after we're done. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> um, do you have a movie you want to start with? Well, how about like guest pick? Like Nate, where do you wanna where do you wanna yeah. begin? Uh, well, let's start with the first one that we saw, which is uh, Gross Point Blank. Nineteen ninety seven. It was an interesting time to be John Cusack. 
Oh, it was, I think it was a pretty great time to be John Oh, it was Cusack. prime. It was prime Cusack. You know, mm-hmm. not quite high fidelity, but, like, he's moved past his, like, late 80s, like, goofy teen heartthrob thing. Yeah. And now he's just really talking about, like, existential angst. <laughs> you he's, know? Got that, he's got that cynicism that's, like, big in all Cusack roles, but he doesn't look exhausted yet. It's a right. fine time to be him. Absolutely. And I think it's interesting, Nate, from your perspective, too, because I have, like, a weird relationship with this movie because, like, I am, you know, almost 10 years out of high school and you just started high school. Yes. So, like, what what is this what is this movie, like, plot-wise, if you can synopsize for us, like, what does this movie look like, like, from your perspective going in? Like, it's also a pretty dated 90s movie, too. Yeah, well... What I just look for in a movie is explosions, and uh, I got my fair share out of this movie. I think you got one. You got one big yeah, one. Yeah, one big one. One, service one big one, but there's some, like, action in there, too. Yeah, plenty of, plenty of gunfire, you know. Mm-hmm. The Two-handed gunfire. Two-handed gunfire. Yep. Oh, you, yeah, you've got Dan Aykroyd just, like, pretending <laughs> how he knows how to wield a weapon. Um, yeah, but, Nate, do you want to synopsize for us? Uh, well, so, basically, this... Uh, this trained assassin just going around doing his job killing people uh his and then his assistant uh informs him that his uh high school reunion is uh coming up he's going back and forth if he wants to go and then uh and then the gods sort of reach out and give him this this case this this cuz he's a hitman so yes. he gets this case in Detroit and that's sort of where he already went to school mm-hmm. and like where the his reunion is and then so whether or not his assistant sort of plays this up or like he just has to do it because of a series of circumstances that led him he has to return to Gross Point Michigan Sir, I want to read you something. I'm working, Marcella. Dear Points High alumni, can you believe it's been 10 years since you left Gross Point? Don't tease me, you know what I do for a living. I just honestly don't know what I have in common with those people anymore. And what am I going to say? Killed the president of Paraguay with a fork. How have you been? But then, like, the movie's not really for the first 45 minutes, and correct me if I'm wrong, Nate, if you disagree, but the first... 45 minutes is not really an action movie. No. It's him, like, hanging out with Minnie Driver in that radio station that, like, would never exist in <laughs> 2016. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. No, it kind of starts off like a, like a rom-com. But... Mm-hmm. but were you invested in that part too, Nate? Yeah, I mean, every single aspect of this movie I thought, was, I thought it was kind of fun. Uh, this strange love affair that these two people have. <laughs> and uh, also his outside works and how they tie into each other. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, can you... But that's, I think the movie asks a fundamental question. is like, can you, A, believe John Cusack as a hitman? And then, B, can you forgive him for being a hitman because he is John Cusack? I would answer yes to both. Oh, definitely. He handles a fake gun decently well, and the fact that he just dresses like an undertaker... And he's about what six foot two. He looks great. I'm sold. Oh yeah, and those ridiculous like big '90s suits that he's mm-hmm. always wearing. The, mm-hmm. the black, just black skinny tie, black shirt, black suit. What, my favorite thing that I love about this movie is that it makes a choice about its like pacing and what it's gonna set out to do. Um, 
And then at no point does it like deviate from that. It doesn't become like an action spoof, really, I wouldn't say. Um, it just kind of like plows ahead. It doesn't stop to see if you like the jokes, just packs in jokes and jokes and jokes. And doesn't care to explain the backstory between like some of these people that he comes across at his reunion. I really admired how it charged ahead and didn't stop. It's almost like an action movie shot like a comedy. But it sure. has like enough going on and the writing is really good. I mean, there's like four credited screenwriters, including John Cusack himself. Um, yeah, but yeah, there's a lot of jokes in there. And what I think is like really good about this movie is because John Cusack has like a creative, clearly like a creative hand in this thing. Yeah. He feels like comfortable riffing mm-hmm. in that sort of, and I think, I mean, a bigger argument I could make about the whole genre is the banter that these characters like have with themselves at these like weird moments where they need to pull you through, <laughs> like whether it's, sure. you know, him in the mirror or fucking uh, Reese Witherspoon at the dog uh, cemetery, <laughs> <laughs> or if it's, yeah. uh, you know, um, Robert Downey Jr. Just like after Robert Duvall has left and he just like talks to himself about stuff. I really like this movie's take on the people who never left the town. That's sort of like an interesting uh, thing that all these movies have to deal with. Like Sweet Home Alabama ends up falling in love with the people in the town. Uh, The judge is very vindictive toward them. But Gross Point Blank has like an interesting take. Like most of these people are so... Um, you know, kind of caught up in their commercial idea of adulthood. He tells the does the joke multiple times of being like, oh, I kill people professionally. And they're all like, oh, that's so great. Let me give you my business card. Like, it, its idea of, like, what has happened to these people is that interesting things just kind of bounce off of them. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. What did you think, Nate, how do you think that Gross Point compares to Lawrenceville, the idyllic suburb (laughs) where we were both, we both came of age as you come of age? Yeah. um, I mean, they're both towns where you have some pretty interesting people. I feel like in this town, you kind of have one of everything in the heart of good old New Jersey. And we're... uh, Absolutely. mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like it's a little bit... Well, did you notice what I liked about this movie is it had those moments um, of ver- being very, like, Detroit-y. Like, there's all those jokes about nobody's buying American cars anymore, yeah, which is, like, weirdly prescient. Yeah. <laughs> yep. You know, about, like, what these sort of very... Uh, I mean, like, the wide shots of these houses, they're, like, enormous. Like, he's from an affluent suburb. yeah. Um, but like mansions bought with money from a past time, like right. it might not a bygone be era that is like slowly eroding. All the people he's meeting are not car manufacturers, but used car salesmen. Like it's not going to go well. Right. Wait, I want to pose a question to Nate that I feel like, no, you, you were like teasing it at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, cause Nate, you're in high school right now. This is about this guy's high school reunion. Have you ever thought about your high school reunion or like what that would be like? Or would you even go? Yeah, I was definitely kind of picturing mine when they were... <laughs> Uh, during theirs, just thinking about uh, what people turn out to be and uh, how people change. It's just, uh, it's kind of funny. Yeah, I think everyone just kind of gets fat. <laughs> but isn't that the line? It was just as if everyone had swelled. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but I think the weird, so the weird thing about this movie is like you can't really, I felt like I've seen this movie like maybe a dozen times. Yeah. And 
if you like really if you start to break down the logic of it, it's like pretty insane. Mini Driver has essentially like not moved like at all, like very like feet from where she was ten years ago. Right. She's right. like still in her childhood bedroom because of like her apartment burning down. Like whether or not that's true, but yeah. she like presumably still has like the first job she's ever had. Yeah, you know, and she's still in this town, and she's still like stunningly beautiful, and like still single, waiting for John Cusack to return. Totally, and that's a theme in all these movies, right? Their significant other, who's their antithesis, has barely moved, and they all still look great. Yeah, Amiga, Josh Lucas, Mini Driver. Yeah, it's such a weird like construct, though. It's so super like convenient. It's really yeah, relies. But on it's but like. I wonder if it's almost like if it's troubling psychologically to be like, hey, these person like these people like went out and like did great things. And then, you know what? Like, let's just settle for the person that I dated 10 years ago who hasn't moved at all or learned anything about themselves like outside (laughs) of this 30 mile area. Yeah. Like, what's the morality there, Chance? It's a good question, but I don't think any of these movies ask that question. Oh, no, but they all pick a side. What they investigate is the mistake that these judgmental people made of rushing away from their town and writing it off. Like, that's right. what they all have to come to grips with. It's interesting. It does not investigate the uh, the beautiful, good-of-heart person who stayed behind waiting. It's a premise movie. It's like, what if a <laughs> assassin <laughs> went to his high school reunion? Like, what would yes. happen? Yeah. And But I think for, like, a pretty contrived setup like it it is executed well through how much it subscribes to this idea of it knew like it's target demo like it's people who are nostalgic about you know their high school in the late 80s and pick a star that you were watching in the late 80s which was john cusack yeah you know load it with late 80s music cues and then like fundamentally tell a romantic story about these two people, and then, like, for the boyfriends who were there on their dates, who were just bored, who would be bored out of their skulls in a movie like uh, Sweet Home Alabama, like, have a little, like, Nate had his, his explosions and his yeah. shoot em outs. <laughs> right. With something for weird... everyone. It's got something for everyone. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think the other thing you can't discount, I'd never seen this movie. I got the sense while I was watching it, though. I was just like, Noah's seen this a hundred times. He loves it. I can tell. Um, just from, that's so funny that you, like, absolutely. So, like as if I had some hand in the movie itself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the other thing I don't think you can discount about this movie is it's cool. It was made by people who are cool. The music cues are cool. John Cusack is cool. She's like a radio DJ. Um it's, uh, you know, it's it plays the Violet. Like, its key song is by the Violet Femmes, not Leonard Skinnerd. Um, it's a cool movie. <laughs> oh, man. So why don't we rate this? Nate, do you know how the rating system works? Uh, no, have you explained I'm pretty this? familiar, but uh, I think... Why don't we give the, yeah. uh, the audience a refresher? Here it is. All movies and most of life can be described with our rating system. The four categories are good, good, bad, bad, good bad and bad good the first good or bad refers to intellectual quality the second is pure pleasure good good is easy things that make you feel smart and happy and that for both reasons you'd want to do again like watching the departed or jaws or calling your pal to do a podcast with him good good movies make noah say love that bad bad is easy too things that bring you neither stimulation nor joy 
Basically, you just wasted your time. Things like watching White Chicks or Wild Wild West, a conceptual double album of Christian pop punk. Bad, bad movies make Chance say things like, I hated that. Good Bad Then is something you recognize as worthwhile, but not something you enjoy. Schindler's List, Requiem for a Dream, most classical music, eating your goddamn vegetables. Good Bad is about being an adult, and these kinds of movies make no essay. I mean, I'm glad I saw it once, but never again. Conversely, Bad Good is for your thoughtless inner child. It's Cheetos, it's late career Billy Joel, it's movies like Christmas Vacation. Honey? Kids? And Deep Blue Sea. Bad good movies make chance say, but it failed in such an entertaining way. Got all that? Now buckle up, because you're about to hear an opinion stated as fact. Nate, if you don't mind going first, in terms of, of quality course. and entertainment, what do you yeah. think? Well, I found that I'm pretty uh, lenient on how I rate things, so I think I'd give this a good good. Okay. Uh, I felt like... For its time, the cinematography was there, uh, the acting was very good, and it was just entertaining to watch, uh, the things that happened. You're uh, lenient in how you rate things? Are you two even related? Yeah, Nate's really strange, because we'll, we'll go see a movie together, like, at the theaters or something, and I'll be like, that was fine, I'll, like, poke at it a little bit, and then and Nate will be like, it's best, awesome. best movie I've ever seen. <laughs> I like it. That's good. You yeah. Should, yeah. You should cherish that. Uh, Noah, yourself? I'm gonna, I think I'll, I'll join my brother on this one and say that I believe this is a good, good movie. Like, unless you... This movie's not to be designed to be consumed the way I've consumed it by seeing it, like, 15 times. This movie's meant to be seen, like, once or twice and, like, be like, well, that was a cool movie and, like, like it. But you're not yeah. supposed to, like, break it down, <laughs> you know? Right. So I think all the flaws that I have and all the... The criticism I have of it is completely negligible, and this is a movie I have and will continue to recommend. Good, good. I will join the both of you. I think if you ask yourself, like, the question, for instance, who do I want to be, like, who, which of these protagonists do I want to be? Like, what kind of relationship do I want to have to my hometown? I think you want the Cusack relationship, where you're, like, smooth and a little bit above it, but you don't hate it, and then you, you know, you leave <laughs> to continue yeah. your life elsewhere. Do you ever think about before we transition into the next one, did these movies make you think about like, what if I did just like pick up my life again, like where I left it off in high school? Um, that's a horrifying proposition. Yeah. I just didn't see a, like a, a comedy being made out of those circumstances. <laughs> right. Like right. a horror film. perhaps. <laughs> it's a story of obsession. What to now, gentlemen? Uh, Sweet Home Alabama. Sweet Home Alabama, I think is the ticket. 2002's Sweet Home Alabama is a movie starring the uh, the queen of the rom-com in those days, Reese Witherspoon. She is a fashion designer in New York, and the mayor's son, who is a, a minor celebrity in New York. The New York City mayor's son. Yeah, sorry. Um, played by Patrick Dempsey, is a minor celebrity because he's so beautiful. Um, and... He proposes to Reese, and she says yes, but hold on, she's married from before. Like, total, like, smash cut, she's driving to Alabama. I was like, wow, that happened really fast. Why? Um, and it's because she was married before to Josh Lucas, her high school sweetheart. She goes back down to get him to sign the divorce papers so she can marry uh, Patrick Dempsey and uh, continue her life away from the town of Greenville, 
Alabama, where she was yeah. born and bred. Well, no, Greenville's like the nice, like bigger city, but she lives in this place called like Possum Ridge or whatever. Oh, that's right, that's right. Green. Okay, Possum Greenville's Creek? where she's pretending to be from. You know, it's it's also like a like a Yankee Johnny Reb culture clash movie of of uh, East Coast elitism versus uh, cetera, <laughs> celebrating the Confederacy. Well, it was so. sort of interesting, like. It's it's East Coast elitism versus an East Coast perspective of what the South might be like. Yeah, maybe. Like having spent no time there, it's just sort of a collection of anecdotes. I think someone like asked yeah. someone in the production crew or in the like, like he, the production's assistant from is from Alabama, isn't he? Ask him about his upbringing, and then they right. just that's the movie. Do his parents have a Confederate throw pillow in their living room? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Before she can tie the knot... I'm in Alabama. She needs to tie up one loose end. Get your stubborn self down here and give me a divorce. As I live and struggle for breath. Please sign these papers. The only reason I ain't signed is because you've turned into some hoity-toity Yankee... Nate, I want to ask you a question. Shoot. What is your, like, what was your entry... Your your introduction to Reese Witherspoon as an actress, like Great how question. do you what do you know her from? Well, I I know her from uh, Legally Blonde, which is you know mm-hmm. one of her main things, and uh, I've got to say that her acting in this kind of kind of let me down. Well, that's like I'm what's with so. You. That's what's so interesting about this movie is because it was the thing she did right after Legally Blonde. Yeah. So she realized she made Legally Blonde. People realize that holy shit, like she can be a romantic vehicle and not just like an interesting, like supporting character. And this is what they came up with. And if you go back, and I was reading the reviews of Sweet Home Alabama, which is like not the most entertaining movie to like sit through on a rainy Sunday afternoon. And, like, the reviews for it just, like, praise Reese Witherspoon for her acting and, like, how charming she is. And then, like, one really nasty, like, timeout person said, like, her face is just, like, offensively symmetrical and I couldn't look away. (laughs) Right. Sexist. Um, Right. Well, yeah. But it's, like, but it's so bad. Like, her, like, her, or maybe her character doesn't exist. But what is it, Chance? I think it's that even though she's the star of the movie, she doesn't have that much to play. And that's the problem with this movie being like a half farce is that with something like Legally Blonde, she can play Elle Woods all the way. Like Elle Woods is like the point of that movie. And in this movie, she goes down there. She's instantly just mad at Josh Lucas in like a very old Hollywood, like Rosalind Russell yelling at Cary Grant kind of way. Um I ultimately think even though she carries, supposedly carries the movie, it doesn't give her much charming to do. No. She, she's just mad Well, that's at the weird thing about lying. it. It's the weird thing about it as like a, a cultural artifact, too. It's because like this young girl leaves this, I mean, pretty backwoods, small town, very conservative. Like the people there like have a very... I mean, not to like, like slam the that sort of lifestyle, but this movie portrays these people as like having a pretty like shitty existence, and not really having done much, and they're all sort of overwhelmed by the poverty in which they live. And so yeah. this woman leaves, 
you know, she's now, like, this burgeoning fashion designer, and the movie basically punishes her for, like, forgetting what her her redneck past is. Yeah. Um, I should say, let me bring my sibling into this for a brief moment. I called my sister today and told her I was watching this, and we were sort of talking about, like, what goes wrong here? Like, I'm not, I don't want to, like, sit here and, like, be like, is Sweet Home Alabama, like, racist? Like, there's a Confederate pillow there. Why are the only black people in the town, like, clerks at the post office in Alabama where there and, are... And actual servants. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. At a plantation. Jesus. Right. And they um, even sort of dance around that. They're like... Why is it called a plantation? It's like, well, farm is just a way of dressing. Yeah, it's just a way of dressing up the word farm. It's just farm with a couple more syllables. It's like, no, it's not. It's like a racist (laughs) thing. Right. Is it good that her dad is a passionate, like, Civil War reenactor on the Confederate side? Yeah, is it Um, it weird that at the emotional turn of this movie, a character yells, the South rises again? (laughs) (laughs) So the, all of these incidental things come from the fact, the problem that this is, like, based on, like, a like a fantasy about whiteness, where, like, this, this, like, backwoods whiteness is completely separated from the reasons, and this is my sister's point, that people would leave a small town because they don't want to be around racism and conservatism <laughs> and, like, homophobia. Like, that's why a lot of people leave small towns. Um, but in this movie's fantasy, like those things just don't exist or they're charming at worst. (laughs) Right. Or the bass player from that thing you do is kind of a don't ask, don't tell policy. Well, that was the thing too. Cause she kind of like outs him at the bar to like distract from her own thing. Yeah. And then the, so the second I realized that Ethan Embry was gay, I like looked over my brother and I was just like, you know, there's a hundred percent chance of him getting together with the gay fashion designer <laughs> by any means possible. Yep. And, cer- and sure enough. Yes. A great call. They had they, that, that one look that they had at each other that just, you know. Yeah. It was a very I mean, this, mo- this movie's universe has room for two gay people, and God damn it if we're not going to let them end happy ever after. <laughs> yep. For sure. Um, so, yeah. That's weird. This is like a, a movie... Uh, for like white people to see different unproblematic versions of themselves right. that we know so, in reality are different. And if I can break down like why I didn't think this movie was terribly entertaining too, it's the the thing, the sort of why this genre will work or does work, it hangs in the mystery behind why the person left, right? Oh, sure, yeah. And And then also like what the other characters have been doing because they've been so hurt by that, like, the one character leaves, and, like, that's their interesting thing, but other characters have their ways of, like, mourning or, like, moving on or whatever. And the movie hangs in that. So this one, it's like she, like, got pregnant in high school but miscarried? Yeah. And so she goes off and becomes this fashion designer. But then Josh Lucas, like, stays in town, like, to be a man and to, like, do something, to, like, win her back. But he's also living in an age without social media. So she, like, has no idea that he's opened up this, like, really sort of charming and authentic, like, glasswares business. Right. Based on, like, a Ben Franklin-style lightning attraction. Just, like, yeah, putting down stakes just (laughs) in the side of the lake and on the uh, sand there and hoping for the best. Yeah. Um, I was watching this with my girlfriend today, and when Josh Lucas showed up, uh, Sarah goes, oh, 
I thought Matthew McConaughey was in this. And it was very much like, oh, yeah, I'm sure that's the how the producers felt as well. They're like, we really want McConaughey, but we can't guarantee him the screen time. So then you get Josh Lucas. It's what you do. Well, that's the thing, too, is that, like, Josh Lucas is not a very big part of this movie. Oh. It's mostly just Reese Witherspoon and this, like, supporting cast that I didn't includes want him. more Josh Lucas. Oh, I certainly didn't <laughs> want more. But he also doesn't have very much of it. No. Nate, what were you, other than Reese Witherspoon's acting, like, what were you put off by? It just felt to me so Hallmark slash Lifetime special-esque that it just kind of... <laughs> It just kind of pissed me off a little bit. Yeah. Oh, wow. Got like, I feel like my mom would bit? just watch this while she does her taxes or something. Which she may have and may and certainly could in the future. Well, we had this <laughs> moment, Nate and I were watching, and I like had gone up to go to the bathroom and like, didn't particularly feel like pausing it. And I came back, and I was like, what happened? He was like, uh, they're not in that bar anymore? I don't know. <laughs> It sort of lacked, like, the fun of sort of a meet-the-parents kind of conceit. Right, it's not a like, full, like, farce. There's no, like, big, like, right. farcical set piece. Or even, like, Hitch, which is, like, a stupid movie, but still, I think, very entertaining. Like, has enough gags. Also an Andy Tennant movie, I believe. Oh, really? Yep, yeah. Yeah, same director. But, yep. like, better setup, better script. Yeah. I think I speak for my brother on this one, unless I'm wrong, Nate. Bad freaking bad. Nate? A firm bad bad. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to agree. I thought Noah was going to... I thought you were going to defend this movie and I was going to have to say... Um, I was going to have to disappoint you. But no, I think it... No, I, think no, it I, bad, bad I hated that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, bad that bad That obviously felt longer us. to me and it's 90 minutes than <laughs> the four-hour runtime of The Judge did. Yeah. Ugh. Um, well, should we get to the judge? I, <laughs> I think we'd better. <laughs> so this is just from last year. 2014. Oh, 2014. Okay. So from two years ago, it kind of came and went. <laughs> um, but if you started watching it in 2014, it'd still be on now. Right. <laughs> um, who directed this chance? Um, David Dobkin, I believe. Oh, uh, who's Sorry. that? David Dobkin is the director of such films as Wedding Crashers, oh, uh, Shanghai Nights. Do you want me to synopsize? Because I've been like charging up to synopsize this because I think I have it. Do it up, man. I think I can synopsize in less than 90 minutes. Okay. It's a pretty basic conceit for a film that goes along with the rest of the films we've talked about. So we have this hotshot lawyer, mm-hmm. Robert Downey Jr., who... We never actually really see him in court. We just know he's a good lawyer because he pisses on David <laughs> Krumholtz in the first scene. <laughs> right. He beats him he in the court of the bathroom. Uh, yeah. He yeah. like they're they're in the bathroom after court and he just like pees on him. <laughs> yeah. And that's just he's just he's still Iron Man and he's Iron Man and just his his cool ties and his suits happen to be his armor in this one. Yep. Um, but in the middle of court he gets a call from his brother that his mother has died suddenly, so he has to return to rural Indiana. Mm-hmm. And then he's there, and it's clear that he's, like, a really fucked-up relationship with, like, his both his brothers. One of them, who is uh, sort of uh, special needs, the, his father, played by Robert Duvall, 
uh, he clearly has a like a just a terrible yeah reprising his role from the great Santini just very abusive like old world pops so Grandpa Palmer's dead too no Grandpa Palmer's dead to me it's like a figure of speech sounds complicated I should go with you trust me Nobody wants to go to Carlinville, Indiana. Built these walls of stone. God, here we go. But yeah, and then he's hanging out for the funeral. He's getting on the plane back to Chicago in his real life, oh, where he's getting divorced, and his daughter loves him regardless because he's Robert Downey Jr. For sure. And he gets a call again from his brother who's like, yo, dad, uh, dad has been arrested for like killing someone in his car. Yeah. Like yeah. a vehicular homicide. Allegedly. And allegedly. We'll never know what happened that fateful night. Um, well, if it happened in the past, this movie's going to explain it to us. Right. Yeah. Oh, my God. But, yeah, so then he's, like, not his lawyer, and then he is his lawyer, and then, like, Billy Bob Thornton shows up, like, <laughs> mid-episode three of this miniseries. Yeah. With this, like, aggressive fold-up cup made out of... Oh, I went nuts for the (laughs) fold-up cup. Well, Billy Bob Thornton is introduced with, like, a Michael Bay 180 camera sweep. This movie is so excited about him being in the film. Well, speaking of 180 camera sweeps, Nate, tell me about your favorite shot in this movie. Oh, my God. They had this... So he was, like, driving from the airport rental car place in this new car, and he just gave this really, really... Really weird shot. It looked like straight out of a video game. Yeah, it was. It just looked like really like an out of place and really commercial. bad. Yeah, yeah. It sort of, so it sort of starts from like a, a mounted camera, like on the side of the car. But even then, you're like that corn behind him, like doesn't look very real. No. And then it pulls out into this like ridiculous helicopter shot, like meant to show you the like, planes, just like the planes or whatever. But then, like, there's a perfectly adequate wide shot that they follow it up with, which does the same thing. Like, I don't get it. So, the main problem with The Judge, for me, is the (laughs) fact that it believes itself to be, like, one of the fundamental pieces of art ever created. Right. And it is not. It's not even close. And it (laughs) thinks it's, like, it thinks it's, uh, like, on Golden Pond or something. Yeah. Um... (laughs) And it's just... It's trying to be like a quintessential, like, reconciling with your dad movie. Yeah. And it's... it's It, it must understand that it, it fits into a genre that two guys can talk about on a podcast. Like, it's not an original... Like, it's not a, no. an original setup. Not at all. I mean, yes, it kind of, like, turns it into a legal drama, too. But even that, it's not very good at. No. No, it's and, just it's so pain, it's just painfully self-serious. Right. Um, you know the moment when I realized that this would never be at least a second uh good. Yeah. Um when you see Robert Duvall shit himself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it's really true. That wasn't your moment? <laughs> oh my god. That was like seeing Jared Leto's arm removed in Requiem for a Dream. That's like the <laughs> moment I was like, nope, never going to watch this again. No. Um, yeah. It's just, and if somebody pumps gas 
in this movie or buys a like sells you a pack of cigarettes at a gas station like that person has like killed your long lost brother and the movie will yep. like later explain that to you every single you compared it to a tv show because so much like preposterous stuff like happens in the course of two hours but i also two and a half two and a half but i also think it was like written like a tv show it was just like well here's our premise here's our setup now like what if we like epically imagined that every small thing that happened had a like a soap opera backstory Mm-hmm. Which is just a ridiculous way to like. It's a way to write eight seasons of television to play what's with on the get, with what is on the well, game board, yeah. but not I a mean, way to write a movie. Thing. You have the you have the uh, the pilot where it's like him coming back for the funeral, and then it ends with like him getting the call that like the crime's been committed. Yeah, and that's like okay, we've seen this town, we've seen these characters, we'll hang in there for like another couple episodes. But then it like yeah it endeavors to do too much but it doesn't do it like adequately. Right. Like the legal drama stuff is like it's it's all done in like in montage. Mhm. But where it really is sort of like baggy is those horrendous scenes like between Robert Downey Jr. and um Robert Duvall. Yeah. It's the sort of movie where it's like takes the time to do 4 minutes of like the uh, mentally disabled brothers found footage in the basement ending with like Robert Duvall like destroying the only thing the brother cares about in life and then it's like no that's not enough they have to go scream at each We're other in the tornado the happening outside <laughs> this movie just has no like grips on like escalating yeah the whole thing is just well, escalating it's either like a 10 or like a zero yeah you know and and then it like the tone of it is very weird like, it, it tells some jokes that, like, you'd forgive... You'd forgive Wedding Crashers, like, if you, like, made out... If someone made out with their daughter by accident. But this movie <laughs> is trying to be, like, Oscar bait. Right. And it, like, still has that in it. And then it, it tries to write that off with, you know, Robert Downey Jr. being, like, kind of hokey. Yeah. Uh, so he meets, he goes back to the, the diner that his dad and his brothers eat at, uh, mm-hmm. like every day for the last 30 years. And Vera Farmiga with a tattoo on her arm. Um, it's just like, Hey, haven't seen you in a while. And I was like, Oh, manic pixie dream waitress. And then later on they go to a bar the next night and, uh, and Leighton Meester is the bartender. And I was like, this movie has two manic pixie dream waitresses. And then it turns out they're mother and daughter. Right, and that Robert Downey Jr. It's quickly established might be the father. Right, with after having made out with Leighton Meester, right in the bar. Good God! Um, Don't worry, he's not the father, but it's still pretty weird what he is. <laughs> <laughs> um, you mentioned Iron Man. Nate is uh, is Iron Man your big reference point for Robert Downey Jr.? Yeah, I can't really think of any other thing that Sherlock he's... Holmes. You seen those movies? Oh yeah. Those are all right. Is he entertaining to you? His fast talk and his uh, yeah, yeah. His quick wit. I, I like things that go quickly, which was <laughs> a, a problem small for of this you movie. here. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. I feel like so much was going on in this movie that, but it didn't feel like enough. It was weird. It was like too much and not enough. Yeah, right. yeah. But it was certainly too much. <laughs> it was definitely too much. This is a rare movie where it started, and I was like, okay. If the acting is as melodramatic as I think it's going to be, um, 
it'll probably be good bad and then it was so ridiculous at a certain point i was like is this bad good and i mean no spoilers we can get to it like it's neither it's it's bad bad oh it's a hundred percent bad bad but that's the thing too it's it was such an experience to watch it though yeah it's like the the amount of things it covers is just so broad that I like may I may like end up recommending No you won't. Probably not. No, you're right. There's no way but you'd like, recommend this to but someone. I, f- I just I feel different after seeing it though. I don't know better, but Well a year of your life has passed. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Nate, what would you rate it? I think I'd have to go against both of you and give it like a uh good bad. You think it might be of decent quality? Yeah, I think like the cinematography is pretty good. They had a couple good camera pans. Uh they had, throughout the whole thing they had like this like weird blue filter the yeah, whole the, time. Yeah, I liked the blue. Which was like cool, That's I guess. True. There was a lot of like light behind Robert Downey Jr., which was pretty cool. Yeah. This movie's ridiculous. But And then where it ends too, like we didn't need to see can I spoil it? Sure. We didn't need to see Robert Duvall fucking die. <laughs> like, there's no reason he should die. He looks like he's going to die the entire time. We don't need to see it. Right, we could just have him, like, meeting at the jail or, like, whatever. But we don't then need to, like... This this is the movie that never ends. It goes on and on, my friends. So yes. Some people started shooting it not knowing what it was. And they'll continue shooting it forever just because. Its name is Judge. Um, let's... Oh, man. Okay, so we rated it. It's bad, bad. Yeah, did I give it a bad, bad too? We, sh- we yeah. Oh, N- bad, Nate, bad. Nate said good, bad. I want to. Yeah. That's that's brave of you. Um, that is brave of you. I can see. See, I think my problem with this movie is that it's bad, bad, but it certainly didn't have to be. Oh, for sure. Like it didn't have to be. It could have been such a a tighter movie and a better movie, or it could have been like a really sort of interesting. I think like miniseries. And this genre creates sturdy premises because I feel like if you're an adult watching these, you are going to inherently relate to these questions about where you're from. You know what I mean? Like these movies have Mm -hmm. a lot on their side. And so to squander it, um, you know, you've given away an advantage you have. Right. The also the thing that's fundamentally not entertaining about this movie, it's, is the idea of like, which I think doesn't apply to Nate or myself, the idea of like, caring for a parent at the end of their life Hmm. which like that's not that's i mean it's it's not about the love affair in this one like gross point blank or sweet home alabama where it's like because we can understand the concept of love sure and like relationships with people but the idea of like that very sort of pigeonholed idea of this movie hangs upon you like seriously thinking about you know what am i going to do when like you know, there's no time left to reconcile with this dad I don't get along with. Right, with my obstinate father. With my obstinate father. Gentlemen, anything to Sir? to take away from this? Uh, Nate, any genre final of thoughts? Movies? What did you think of this as a genre? Uh, that's all I have to say. Oh. Okay, just just you know, a non-committal, uh, dubious sound. Thanks everyone for listening. Much appreciated, as always. Find all past episodes of Be Real Guys at BeRealGuys.com. You can talk to us on Twitter or on Facebook. You can email us at BeRealGuys at gmail.com. Real, of 
of course spelled like a film reel with uh, two E's. We'd be happy to hear from you. Uh, and we're happy to keep uh, pumping out episodes about movies within a similar genre. And we've had on, we got to have uh, Audrey on now because we've had all the ballards. Uh, uh, the dog? Yeah. I don't think she'd stand for that. What do you think, like a little uh, Homeward Bound Benji Airbud trio? Oh, nice. <laughs> huh? Where uh, movies in which animals have people feelings. <laughs> yeah. You can interrogate her a little bit on that. Yeah, movies in which animals are allowed to do people things. There you go. Uh, Nate, thanks for doing this, man. Pleasure to yeah. see you via FaceTime. It is, it's been real. Well,